going to read two passages from the scripture, and the first is from Psalm 48, and let's hear God's word. Psalm 48 begins like this. Great is the Lord, and most worthy of praise in the city of our God, his holy mountain. Beautiful in its loftiness, the joy of the whole earth, like the heights of Zaphon is Mount Zion, the city of the great king. God is in her citadels. He has shown himself to be her fortress. When the kings joined forces, when they advanced together, they saw her and were astounded. They fled in terror. Trembling seized them there, pain like that of a woman in labor. You destroyed them like ships of Tarshish shattered by an east wind. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord Almighty, in the city of our great God, God makes her secure. Within your temple, O God, we meditate on your unfailing love. Like your name, O God, Your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Mount Zion rejoices. The villages of Judah are glad because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Count her towers. Consider well her ramparts. View her citadels. That you may tell of them to the next generation. For this God is our God forever and ever. He will be our guide even to the ends of the earth. And then I'm reading from Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and into chapter 12. These are the words of Jesus. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary, And burdened. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. At that time, Jesus went through the green fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples were hungry and began to pick some of the heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was Not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple desecrate the Sabbath, and yet they are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going from that place, he he went into their synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. 
looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Before we come to God's word, Brian's going to sing for us again. Sheltered safe Asleep in your arms No other place For promise, protection A fortress from pain And a haven from harm Hold me now O Father of Jesus, sometimes I fear the dark of the night. Your kindness kindles the stars in the heavens. Your love is the reason the moon gives us light. Just you and I And one holy moment Together If I have eyes that can see Open my ears that I might hear you whisper Of your tender longing for me Now I know, O Father of Jesus, my hope lies in belonging to you. Never again will I live like a stranger. My heart understands now that you're my father too. Thank you, Brian. Let's pray. Oh Lord, our hearts would understand that you are our Father too. 
So we pray as we meditate on your word together that you would fill us with that sense of your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Come to me all who are weary and burdened, or as the old version says, tired and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I almost don't need to say anything else this morning. I will. (laughs) Because there it is, isn't it? Come to me, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. Rest. I need that, don't you? After all these long months and all that has happened, I'm tired. Are you? Not only am I tired, I'm tired of being tired. The great saints we have felt of frustration, of wanting to do things, of always looking to see what's about to change, what can we do next, when will we be allowed to that sense of standing still at times and feeling the frustration that we should be going on. We are busy, we are harassed, we are tired, we are harried, and we find it very hard to stand still. And that's part of our culture because we live in a culture where we expect things to happen now, don't we? A microwave meal that takes two minutes which would have taken somebody in previous generations hours to prepare. An instant noodle. I'm not recommending them, by the way. They're awful. But you know where it comes from, that whole culture. You sit trying to load something up on the internet, and it takes 30 seconds to load. And you say, it's slow tonight. You've just loaded up information that would have taken your parents weeks to find in books, and your grandparents months to find and track down in a library, but it's slow tonight. Because we're used to doing things at a pace. The sluggish driver on the road gives us road rage because he's going too slow. The boss who wants it done yesterday. And see the concept of a delivery that takes a week to come? I don't get it. What's wrong with Amazon Prime? It'll be here tomorrow. The instant world. We're always in a hurry. Children that can't wait for Christmas, even when it's June. Older folk who in December can't wait till it's sunny weather and they can get out and do things, wishing our lives away. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. No, the truth is, though, that the church has often translated that in normal times to say, come to church, all you who are wearied and heavy burdened, and we will give you duties and rotas and appeals for help and committees to sit on and a whole lot of things to do. We will make it harder for you. And the sermon, well, the sermon will tell you how you're not doing enough and how you could do it better until you burn out. Come to me, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. When you've come, 
And when you have received your rest, only then will I put my yoke on you and you learn from me. And you will have even more rest. That term yoke is got to do with a plowing metaphor that's sort of lost to us, but would have been perfectly um, obvious to previous generations. It's putting uh, the, the yoke, the plow on the oxen. And the reason that you do that is that it allows them to achieve things as they move forward to plow the field. It was often used in Judaism as an expression of what it meant to be a Jew. You took on the yoke of the law. And that law, the law of God, gave you purpose. That law gave you direction. And yes, it limited you as well. It it told you the things you shouldn't be doing. The problem was, if it was handled wrongly, it became the exhausting religion of things to do and obey and remember and observe until there was no rest. Jesus put it this way later on in Matthew's gospel when he was talking about the Pharisees. He said they tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on people's shoulders and they themselves won't lift a finger to help them. The Pharisees took the Ten Commandments and managed to produce a sort of guidelines and instructions the way that we do with our COVID rules and they had 603 commandments that you had to keep and remember. Exhausting. But here's the strange thing. And we found this out in our day, haven't we? People actually quite like rules. People get a a rule and immediately they say, well, how does that work in this situation or that situation? Can the government not spell it out and tell us how we should behave when this happens or that happens? Can the Church of Scotland not make it quite clear? And I found it quite frustrating that people have wanted more and more and more rules, more and more detailed rules, more rules that guide them so that they don't break the first lot of rules. And so it goes on and on and on. And then we get even worse than that because once we've got all those rules, we want more rules so we know when somebody else is breaking the rules. Exhausting. Come to me, says Jesus, and I will give you rest. And yet sometimes coming and resting with Jesus is the hardest thing can remember the story of Martha and Mary. Mary sitting with Jesus as Martha busies herself in the kitchen doing, doing, doing. And sometimes we're like that too. We're doing, doing, doing because I've got this feeling if I'm not doing something, what am I worth? If I'm not achieving something, who am I? What am I for? So I tidy the house. Well, I don't, but we, we do this, we do that, we try to achieve that, we try to read that. If I read enough books, if I do enough things, if I... If, Come to me, says Jesus. That's all that matters. It struck me the other day that I was kept coming back to this verse in the Psalms. We've used it quite a lot. Be still and know that I'm God. And actually, that's a commandment, isn't it? Be still. It's probably the hardest commandment in the whole of the Bible. Not just because I'm a fidget, as you can see from me pacing up and down here, being still is not in my nature, but actually it's not in any of our natures. Be still and know that I am God. It's not a commandment actually to meditate, although sometimes you read it that way as if we were to sit there and try to do an exercise in meditation to be still, because that's just another thing to do to keep active. Rather, it comes from a Psalm, Psalm 46, that says, Remember that God is our strength and refuge, our 
an ever-present help in time of trouble, our fortress, our security. And therefore, be still. Be still because what you do and you achieve and isn't what's important. What's important is what God is doing. Be still and know that I am God means be still and know that you are not. You are not the one holding everything up. You are not the one holding your family together. You are not the one who makes significance. He is. Be still and know that I am God. Your actions don't give you significance. Your trying doesn't make you more loved. You aren't saving the universe. You aren't trying to iron God's approval. Be still and know. I'm struck that as a church, at this time, there is so much that we think we should be doing. We're sitting yet again in that time where we are expecting more unlocking in in the coming weeks and months, and so much that we should be getting ready, so much we should be preparing to do. When the session met in June, there was just that beginnings of a feeling that things were beginning to open up and might open up by the autumn. And I know where I was after 18 months of feeling I hadn't achieved that much as a new minister and we hadn't been able to do things. I felt right now is the time to get going. And when the session sort of said, well, it's the summer, there was a bit of me felt quite let down, a bit frustrated. Should we not be doing? But then realized the wisdom of that. Actually, we need a rest pause, to stop, to not think that we have to solve the whole problem of the church, to learn patience. Maybe that is God's big lesson for us in these months, to learn patience, to learn to be still, to rest in him. After the resurrection, remember, Jesus gave his disciples a plan, go through all the nations, be disciples, be my witnesses, spread the good news, baptize and teach. They had this action plan ready to go, but what was his first command? Wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait in lockdown in a room until my spirit comes. Wait for my time, not yours. For this is not a job for you to go off and do and approve yourselves before me. Rather, I will give you rest and strength. And then in me you will go. Rest is actually built right into the fabric of creation itself. Where does the Bible begin? In Genesis. In Genesis, of course, doesn't it? And that story in Genesis of God making the whole world in seven days. Light, sea, vegetation, day and night, birds and fish, human beings, people made in God's image, people told that they've got to make food to eat, that they've to go and they've to subdue the the earth, that they've got work to do. But then before they go off and do all the work that God has created for them in creation, there is one more thing. The seventh day. And the scripture says simply, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And on the seventh day, he rested. 
God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he had rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now when you stop and think about that for a minute, it's a very strange verse. God the creator put his feet up, made himself a noble teen, fetched his slippers and said, I'm going to rest and read the newspaper. Well, maybe not read the newspaper. But it's a strange image. And we might want to retort, but wait a minute, Psalm 121, you never slumber, you never sleep. Isaiah 40 verse 20, he does not grow tired nor weary, the God of Israel. What is this? That God takes a nap? And I would suggest that it's here for a particular reason. And it's here for this reason. God created us and he gave us work to do. That we would be creative like he has been creative. That we would bring blessing and fruitfulness as he has brought blessing and fruitfulness. But he also said, you have to rest. To be made in the image of God is not just to work and achieve. It is also to rest in him. It's built into the very fabric of the universe. And we could go on as we go through the Old Testament on this theme of rest. Exodus 16, God gives the people manna in the desert, provides them with food. They have to go out and catch it, fetch it, bottle it every day, day by day by day. But on the sixth day, they're given twice as much. Why? That on the seventh day, they shall rest. Indeed, we're told that God gave them two things, food to gather and a Sabbath to rest. Exodus 20, the fourth commandment, if you know them. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days shall you labor, American spelling, and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You're given rest, says God. And there's more than that because you're to give this gift, not just receive it, but to give it to others because the commandment goes on. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you nor your son nor your daughter nor your male servant nor your female servant nor your animals nor any foreigner in your town. By the way, if you're in management or employment, you have a responsibility not just to take rest, but to give rest. And our politicians should take their holidays as a good example to the rest of us. Why? Well, the commandment goes on. For in six days did the Lord make the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh. Therefore God blessed the seventh and made it holy. God set an example on that seventh day, right into the fabric of the universe. He said, don't just do as I say, do as I do. I will rest that you may see that you need to rest. And as I said, we should say to our leaders, whether that's in church or whether that's in government, you should take holidays, you should take days off, you should rest, not just because we don't want to be led by exhausted people, but because we want them setting an example to all of us that work is important, but rest is also important. Here is the sign. Exodus 31 says that the sign of God's people will be that they rest on the Sabbath. Why? 
Because it is a sign that they know God, a sign that they're living by his pattern, a sign that they know that it depends on him and not on them for everything that goes on. Now, actually, none of this is particularly religious. It wasn't that the Israelites used the Sabbath day to go to synagogues. Synagogues didn't really exist until the time of Jesus or or afterwards. They went to the temple only a few times a year. So it wasn't about Sabbath for going to church. It was simply about resting, receiving from God this gift of rest, marking them out in such a way that the Romans, when they looked at the Jews later on, said, these people are lazy. They take a day off every week. Not like us. We keep working. And now, perhaps the bigger side of this passage makes more sense with all its talk of the Sabbath and what you will do on it. Jesus says, I give you rest. I give you the gift that God intended you to have from the beginning of creation. A rest in him. Stop and receive from me something that you did not work for because I know you need it. And then there follows a discussion with the Pharisees about what that meant in that day. Jesus and his disciples went to the synagogue, which was the Jewish practice by that time. And afterwards they went for a stroll, Sunday afternoon walk. And they went past the field and they were hungry. And so the disciples plucked some heads of grain and began to eat them. Although to eat a head of grain, you have to get the grain out of the the corn. Now this was allowed. Deuteronomy 23 said that if you passed a field, you were entitled to take a little from the side of a field so that it was provided for everybody that went past. You couldn't take a basket and take lots. That was stealing, but you could take a little to eat as you passed. So what was the problem? The problem is that the Pharisees had taken that life-giving commandment to respect the Sabbath and they'd immediately tried to work out what do not work meant and they had all their rules. And so they had rules that we read later on that said you can walk a certain distance but not so far and people said, well, exactly how far? Is that two meters, four meters, six meters? And so they had rules that allowed for that. You can't carry a stick and drag it along the ground because you might be plowing. All sorts of rules. You can't separate wheat and chaff because that's willowing. You can't grind it down in your hands because that's milling. You're working on the Sabbath. Rules. The irony here, of course, is the Pharisees aren't resting. They're too busy with their rules. Not taking the gift that God gives. The Sabbath and its rest isn't something to do. Isn't something to enslave us. Rather, If we are to get it right, we are to understand the intention of God. And Jesus does here what Jesus so often does. He does a Bible study to explain this. First of all, he takes a story from the time of David. Leviticus had said that in the temple there was a special bread that was just for priests. But here was David on the run from Saul. And he comes to a priest called Abimelech. And he says to the priest, I've got some men here. They're starving. We need bread. Help us. And Abimelech said, well, all I've got is the sacred bread that is only to be eaten by priests. And then Abimelech says, well, wait a minute. You're on a mission from God, aren't you? Well, that's like being a priest. So your men are good. That's like being holy. So they're holy priests. So here's the bread. 
And what David and Abimelech understood is that God's law is good, but it wasn't designed to leave people hungry. It was designed to bless them with rest. And then there's a second part to the Bible study. Jesus says, have you not read the law that on the Sabbath the priests in the temple need a break and yet break the Sabbath rules and yet they're innocent? What this really meant was people were told not to work on the Sabbath, but of course in the temple where there were to be constant sacrifices going on, the priests needed to work on the Sabbath in order to keep the temple running just like ministers have to work on a Sunday in order to to keep people fed spiritually. Jesus says, but the whole point of God's law is that people know the presence of God. The whole point is that we worship him. We don't lose that as we do all of these things. And then he went on to say, I am greater than the temple. I am the place that you meet with God. I am the place that you find rest. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. Never let anyone say Jesus didn't claim to be God. He's saying something quite remarkable here. But there's more. When Jesus says, I will give you rest, he's saying something quite amazing because in Exodus 30, three, Moses was really tired and he'd been given this huge job to look after the people and he said, Lord, give me strength, give me all that I need. And God said to him, I will be your rest. Here Jesus says to us, I am your rest. I am God. We need rest, not just to work out what to do, but in order that we might be renewed and refreshed and received from God. But much more than that, to understand that what we are given by God is not something we work for or earn, but is a gift of his grace. There's a third part to Jesus' Bible study here. He says, God says, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea here. The Sabbath is God's merciful gift. It's not supposed to be a sacrifice we make, as if work was the only thing that was good and we sacrificed work by taking time off. You know, there's some people who, it seems that way, doesn't it? Work is the normal, and, 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 and we sort of sacrifice by giving our families time for holidays. Sometimes our politicians make a virtue of work. I don't stop. I'm caring so much. No, no. Rest is a gift, not a sacrifice. Come to me, says Jesus, all you that are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I am your rest. The story goes on, though, because they go into the synagogue, and there there is a man with a shriveled hand, and the question rises, is it lawful to heal him? And Jesus tells a strange story. He says, well, would you help a sheep out of a pit on the Sabbath? Now, actually, There is some evidence that some folk in first century Judaism, we have this in the Dead Sea Scrolls, people who were writing just about the same time, and they actually said, no, you keep the law. You don't work even if a sheep falls down. You don't even help an animal if it's giving birth. You don't use a ladder or a rope to help a man out of a lake. You don't work. It means what it says on the tin. Be completely about it. The Pharisees probably wouldn't have gone that far. It's a bit extreme. Jesus says the same. It's lawful to be good. 
So what does all this mean? Well, it was a live issue in the first century for Jesus' followers about what you did on the Sabbath day. But that's not really the focus of this passage. And it's certainly not for us. Sunday, whatever it is, is not the Sabbath. It's a different day of the week. It's a different thing altogether. But practically, hear the importance of rest, the value of a holiday, of taking time off, of stopping, of not overworking, of not overworking others. But more importantly, a spiritual truth. God is good and he knows what is best for us. And his pattern is to bring wholeness and understanding to us. And it's not about what we do. It's not about burdening ourselves with too many rules and expectations, about seeing our significance in what we achieve, what we build. But it's knowing that our significance is found in Jesus. In sitting at his feet. In being still and knowing who is God. In receiving all that he has given us. In finding that rest from our souls. That doesn't push us to do more, achieve more. Be more. But simply knows that this gentle one has given himself for us and we can trust in him.